Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you hear in a few minutes. I'm Chun. I'm Miles. I'm Anthony. And I'm Red. This week, the team sat down with Tommy Tallarico, the creator of Video Games Live, among his many other accolades. Uh, we talked about his amazing career in the industry, his work on over 200 games, uh, which is a world record, by the way, and his new project with uh, Intellivision Amico. So this was an absolute delight to have him on and talk with him. Uh, this was a fantastic interview and like just... Uh, just hearing about all that he's done and his passion for what he does is really heartwarming and amazing. Uh, and when we get into talking about the Intellivision too, at the end there, it's again, it's such a, it, it, if you look up everything about it, it's, it's such a passion project and full of care. So it's something really to look out for and something I'm probably going to be picking up myself. But before we get into that interview, we do have a little bit of news. Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. It just came out uh, on the same day as our second news item, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. I watched a stream of it, and it's pretty bare bones. Like, there's not a lot to it yet, but there is a lot of potential. It looks, it does look like a good uh, Smash Bros. competitor. Cool. And, I'm excited for it. Like I don't know. I love I love mascot brawlers. Like like um Oh yeah. Uh shoot. What's uh uh Tribes of Aether? Is that th- Guardians of Aether? Is that Uh that sounds mm, That does sound vaguely familiar, but I am shoot. I am unsure of that mascot game. The only ma- the one you were saying mascot game, I thought you were talking about Sneak King. Uh you know the the Burger King disc that they would give out. Oh yeah, it's just like you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's another one. Like, just a game but where the, each character has a very unique move set and does like interesting yeah. things. Yeah, like it's not I mean, there, it be, a fighting fighting game. No, uh, there's a lot there of would be iconic rivals of Aether in here. Rivals of Aether. All righty. I mean, you can play as Reptar. Uh, Oh, dude, Reptar was Reptar's gonna destroy, and so I do hope Cat Dog will as well. Uh, <laughs> Ren and Stimpy. Oh snap! Nigel Thornberry. From from what I saw, Reptar and Toph are extremely extremely powerful characters right now. Uh, of course, Toph would be, but that that's pretty cool. I mean, oh man. The, just the roster is just so huge. No, yeah, it's good. On to our mm. second news item, though. Uh, everyone's yes. already heard about it. Yes. Sora from Kingdom Hearts. Yes. The final Smash character. Yes. <laughs> yes, but it's also, sadly, Sakurai's uh, final addition on to the Super Smash world. So... Thank you for everything, Sakurai. Uh, Smash won't be the same without you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it must but be a very Sora! difficult one to, to just ask Disney to sign that contract. 
I know. Yeah, I wonder how they got them on board. Yeah, that's that was the biggest surprise. I was like, how did Disney is now technically kind of a part of Smash Bros. They're like they're ring, they're tickling their feelers out. But mm-hmm. I was, it's still kind of amazing to me. But I'm I'm for it. I'm excited to. It, it's not as robust a move set as I was hoping for, but we'll see. We'll see. There could be some other things in the future. Um, <laughs> uh, in other news as well, before we head over to Mr. Tommy Tallarico, a big news item. There was a big Twitch leak. Uh, of a bunch of information uh, a lot of it was uh, just other data shared uh, so change your passwords everybody reset what you can uh, there's also uh, like the revenue or the pay that some streamers were making was leaked as well it was the payout to a lot of streamers yeah which is already basically public knowledge yeah like, yeah I was like isn't yeah that, that seemed weird to me I was like that's not all right. I mean, you, I guess you can you work can it out pretty easily for yourself. It's just like subs times two point five because that's the payout for. I think it's like fifty percent. Fifty percent of five bucks. Yeah. Exactly. Well, but is that? I think that's all we have for the news this week. Uh, there will be plenty of news next week. I'm assuming we may have to talk about some other stuff later. Next but week, I will have a review for uh, Metroid Dread. Because it's coming out. Yes. Very, very soon. It is coming out. Oh, Within the next couple days. That's going to be... Yeah, that's going to be the big excitement. Very Uh, excited. I'm still... Oh, man. Uh, But we'll throw it over to Tommy Tallarico. Uh, This was a pleasant conversation. Uh, Here he is. And we are here with Tommy Tallarico. Welcome, Tommy. Hi. How how you doing? Thanks for having me. I feel like I should have done some kind of radio to Tommy Tallarico. There you go. And Tommy Tallarico. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Am I appearing at the Monster Truck Festival this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we wanted to first ask you how you got started as, you know, the god of game audio. Uh, well, uh, you know, I uh, my two greatest loves growing up were always video games and music. And I grew up in Massachusetts on the East Coast. Uh, all four of my uh, grandparents were Italian immigrants who came in uh, New York area. And... Um, so I always wanted to do something in entertainment or music. Um, I have a very famous cousin who's 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 into the music thing. So I was always always interested in that. And so when I turned 21, I left my parents crying on a doorstep. And uh, I'm the oldest son, uh, or, or oldest oldest, uh, you know. Uh, oldest son and I had a middle sister and a younger brother and so the oldest son in an Italian family leaving the house it's like a kind of a thing um, and, and so uh, so it was very emotional and um, but I got in my car and I just drove out to California you know 3,000 miles all by myself it was a little two-seater car I had no money no job no place to stay I, I had a credit card with like $500 on it which I used for gas and I'd buy like a loaf of bread peanut butter and jelly and I could live off that eating that for about th- three or four days so um, when I first got to California I was I was homeless um, I was living under the pier at Huntington Beach actually because I didn't have enough money 
to like I had no idea what what's this whole first month's last month's rent and security deposit like wow you know kid on his own no, 21 year old I had no idea so um, but the very first day I got there I picked up a newspaper and I saw a job selling keyboards at Guitar Center and I walked in there I spoke to the manager I said hey it's your lucky day you don't have to you don't have to interview anyone anymore I'm, I'm the guy for the job and he kind of liked he, he liked my uh, chutzpah as they call it my moxie um, and they hired me there and uh, so so that was my first day in California I started the next day and I had three t-shirts with me when I moved to California uh, again I had a little two-seater car I had like my my keyboards my rolling keyboard and my little Fostex six channel recorder and uh, my teddy bear and that was pretty much uh, you know pair of jeans and, and three t-shirts was pretty much it and um, and so what but one of those t-shirts was a TurboGrafx 16 t-shirt and the system hadn't come out in the US yet you know it was the PC engine out there and again this is late 80s you know early 90s or whatever so it hadn't come out yet I don't think I don't think I don't know the exact release date um, of, of the TurboGrafx I'm pretty sure it wasn't out um, but I had played it the summer before at uh, at like a state fair that I that I begged my mom to drive me to uh, because I would get all the video game magazines and I saw that this new Japanese video game system was coming to like, you know, a bunch of fairs around the United States and Canada. And and the, the closest one was like about seven hours away from me. So so I made my mom drive. It was up in Toronto, actually, and um, <laughs> in a different country even. And... Uh, and I stood in line for like three hours to play the Turbo Graphics, and at the end of it, they had me fill out a, 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 a you know, what I liked about it. Did I like the graphics? What did I like? Did I like the game? So they were basically doing like focus group testing, and they gave me a T-shirt, you know, a Turbo Graphics 16 T-shirt. And to me, this was like a prize. It was like my trophy. It was like the greatest T-shirt I ever had. Because you got to remember the time, and some of you guys might not even be the. This might be before you were born, but back then, no one had video game T-shirts unless you, like, worked at the company, right? They didn't have, like, you, you couldn't roll into Hot Topic and get, like, you know, cool, you know, Atari and Intellivision gear, right? Um, so, when, so the first day I worked at my new job, I wear my TurboGrafx-16 shirt, and the very first person who walked in, the first person I waited on worked for Richard Branson, and they were starting a virgin video game company right down the street. So I was in California two days now and he sees my shirt and he goes, oh my God, you know about the TurboGrafx-16 and where did you get this shirt? So he, uh, you know, you know about video games? And so I proceeded to download, you know, 21 years of information that I knew all about the video game industry and he was quite impressed. So he hired me there on the spot. He goes, do you want a job? I'm like, yes, doing what? Uh, he said, you know, uh, just play Play the games and tell us what you think, just like you did when you got that shirt. And um, and so I was the very first game tester ever hired at Virgin. And um, 
yeah, kind of, you know, the rest is history after that. But I but I was in the test department. Again, the only person in the test department. We hired another guy a couple months later. And uh, I was play testing games and working my way up the ladder. And about six months after that, um, we were working on the original Prince of Persia um, with Jordan Mechner. Uh, we were doing a Game Boy version of it. And they needed audio and they needed me to work with MIDI files and stuff like that. So... So I kind of learned how to do it. I'd sit down with programmers after hours and they teach me how to, you know, how to do stuff. And um, there you go. There, you know, I, I, I ended up doing a good job and got some good reviews, won some awards. And I was at Virgin for about four years uh, and then started my own company, Tommy Tellerico Studios, and, and went out and, you know, did Madden Football and Tony Hawk and Metroid and, and uh, things like... Um, uh, Sonic series and Pac-Man and Mortal Kombat and a uh, whole bunch oh, of stuff. Earthworm Jim. Oh, yeah. On my own. you be here for the rest of the day list listing the games you've wore years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Over 350 so, of them. So Red wanted wow. to ask about Prince of Persia, but I think you answered that question. And uh, Jim, Jim wanted to ask about that era of, uh, you know, the early 90s, what it was like to use that stuff. Yeah, so I know you have been working on a lot of games on the older consoles like Game Boy, NES, and RSF, and we all know in those days, game music is um, not as such a big proportion during the in a def whole development uh, cycle of game development because um, they usually, if they have to cut the, the size of the game, the first thing they cut is usually the audio. Yeah, yeah. So, um, are there any frustration or the limitations that really gets into your memory or your mind when you're working on the Game Boy or NES, whatever? Yeah, totally. And and, and it's very. I'm I'm glad that you know that piece of information. That that you're right. Not and not only was audio the first thing they would cut because it would take up most of the cartridge, but also um, it was also the very last thing that anyone ever did. Right. Because you're working on the game design and the graphics first, you know, and people were always filling up the cartridge. So there were a couple of times when when it was the end of the project and they're like, hey, Tommy, we got like 40 K and not not money, like 40 K in memory. Um, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Back then they paid you with, you know, like a can of soda. Um, oh, but yeah. um, Turbo graphics T-shirt. Yeah. Or Turbo graphics shirt. Um, <laughs> and it's a t-shirt and, and if you were lucky you got a hat um but 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 not only was it you know was there no space left but there was also no time left either right because it was done at the end because they were they were approaching it kind of like like post-production in a movie right like in a movie what's the last thing you do in a movie once the scene is cut and the story's written and the actors and the cameras have shut down then they give it to the it's literally called post-production what you know the audio part of a movie is post-production right and so w when I was learning how to do all this stuff, you know, I would tell the programmers and the designers back then, I say, look, if, if, you, if we thought about audio in the beginning, like you do with the design and the, and the, and the graphics, you'd be able to, we'd be able to do a lot more things. Like I'd be able to do a lot. So I would do these demos with like, 
where I would use samples um, and I would use, you know, I'd thrash the channels and I'd use pitch bend and all this crazy stuff that not a lot of people were doing back then. And I would, I would use like the PSG channels for like, like reverbs and, and things um, just really squeezing the hell out of it all. And, um, Sign, like PSGs, like sine waves and stuff, you know, like like the Game Boy had, just like sine mm-hmm. waves and waveforms, um, and so, and so once they heard the stuff that I was doing back then, it, you know, like wow, this doesn't even sound like a Sega Genesis or this doesn't even sound like a like a Game Boy, um, and so that was always my approach was I wanted to always approach it as a musician and a composer not as a programmer because I didn't know how to program like C plus back then or whatever like like I mean I knew basic you know I think any any kid who grew up in the late 70s early 80s you know probably you know at some point typed in some kind of basic program from a from a computer magazine they got you know or whatever to, to play some crappy version of Space Invaders or something but uh, but um, yeah so so the challenges back then, Chan, Chan, were were that the tools were so archaic, right? So not only did we not have the technology, not only did we not have the time or a budget, but we also didn't really have very good tools because in the old days, and again, I talk about like the 80s, it the, the only people who were making video game music were typically the programmers, right? And so they would, you know, computer click on their keyboard or type in on their keyboard, um, you know, how music went. It was, it was literally a paragraph of numbers, you know, that, 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 that would translate. So what I did was... I spoke to our programmers and I said, look, you know, there's an audio chip in all these consoles and there's this thing called MIDI, which stands for Musical Instrument Digital Interface. Because I asked him, I said, look, what what are those... What is that paragraph of numbers? Like, that's music. Okay, but what does it mean? It's like, well, it's a value between, you know, zero and and, uh, 1,024, right? And and the first number, and and that, so think of like zero being like instant and and, and 1,024 being like three seconds, uh, okay, about three seconds. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't scientific or, you know, to a clock. It was just this, this thing in time that the the programmer could set. And I said, okay, and it would depend on. It would depend on a lot of things: the frame rate, the the electricity. Were you 60 hertz or was it PAL and 50 hertz? It was all all back then. It was all this crazy crazy math, right? And so. And so I said, well, what do those numbers represent? And they said, well, the first number is the note that you hit, is the, is the note. So if you think of a piano, it has 88 notes, most typical pianos. Bo- Bosendorfers have more. They have an extra, you know, extra octave. But, but, but the typical piano, 88 notes. And note 60 was the middle C. Okay? So, so there you go. There's your note 
your note numbers. 60 is C, 61 is C sharp, 62 is D. Okay, I get it. So what's the second number? Okay, now the second number is how long you hold down that note that you just called. Okay, so 80 is kind of quick. Beep, you know. 500 is kind of like beep. And, and 1024, the max, is like beep. Okay, all right. I can kind of think about that for a second, okay. And then what's the third number? Well, the third number is the amount of space between whenever you hit the next note. Ah, okay. So, and, and, and it was just paragraph and number. Okay, so what I did was, is I said, look, there's this thing called MIDI. It's kind of the same thing almost, right? It's, it's, it's creating, and I, I'm a PC guy, so I was using Cakewalk. Uh, I think it was like 2.0 for DOS. Um, and, 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 and so we would take the MIDI file that I would output and, and I would say, look, can we get can we get a MIDI cable that would talk directly to the to the chip, to the sound chip in the Genesis or the sound chip in the in the Game Boy or the NES or whatever. And so I had the programmers build me this hardware that I would literally, it was a big cartridge about this big, <laughs> and it would plug into the Genesis, and then you'd plug a MIDI cable into the card. And I could now play my, I would play the sound chip on the thing, but it was only six voices and you had to, you couldn't really do chords and this and that. So you had to record one channel at a time. And then we took the MIDI files and then came up with a way to strip out everything else and, but just have those three numbers in there and export it out to a file. But, but stuff would always crash all the time. <laughs> Because if you if you held down too long, or if you hit two notes accidentally at the same time, the system wouldn't know how to handle it and it would crash it. So, so a lot of video game music back in the day didn't early early days didn't really have a lot a lot of long notes. Ba. You always had to go like ba 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 because you don't you know at least on the systems I worked on because if you went farther it would crash the system because it was a value that was over ten twenty four and it didn't know what to do with it right hmm. so I would I would get good at looking at a paragraph of numbers <laughs> and and see and scanning it and seeing what was wrong or where it went wrong or this and that so so yeah there's a little bit of horror stories about the old days yeah i, I spent more time <laughs> chun i spent more time putting the music into the system than I did writing the music. Writing the music for me was the easy part. You know, that might take a day or two, but getting it to sound good in, on an NES or a Game Boy or a Genesis or a Super Nintendo, that would take like two weeks, you know? Mm -hmm. Wait, so let uh, me get so it clear. So there's no time signature in such system. No, or... not back then, no. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> No, zero. It was, it was the programmer could set, you know, could set a, a value um, 
that was you know that that had to do with like the sync of the machine and the power it was getting and the frame rate it was set at and this and that yeah it was so so once i would get that I would then have to figure out how to slow down or speed up the music. It wasn't like, oh, hey, Tommy, the temp, the tempo is going to be 110. Work from there. What I did is I'd have to figure out, like, I would, I would, I would match a tempo, right? So I would say, like, because every game was different. And so yeah. once I figured out mm-hmm. what the overall game tempo was, if you will, then I would plug that in. And then, yeah, there was no like time signal. It was just me kind of, <laughs> I, I would literally record to a metronome because it wasn't oh, wow. real. Yeah. Because the tempo was what the machine was at, not what the song was at. And so I just make up okay. stuff from there. Uh, along those lines, is there, because of like the limitations of everything, is there like a bank of sounds that you wanted to put in games that you didn't get a chance to because of like file size limitations? Do you have like a secret batch of sound effects music that you've like didn't make it into your games that you were really hoping would? No, I I would thrash everything to get it in there. <laughs> so that was, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah like, no, no, it's I, all going I, in. Oh, <laughs> it was it was all going in. That that was that was the challenge. I was I was beating the hell out of the Sega mm. Genesis back in the day. Let me tell you, I mean we had we had priorities on all the channels, all the audio channels. So like when Earthworm Jim would say some groovy, and and that would take precedent because it was a pickup sound, that would take precedent over the hi-hat in the you know in in the in the audio or the kick drum in in the music or whatever so every every little every sound every sound effect every instrument in every single one of my games back then i would set a priority and again it was a it was a number but a value between zero and 127 or one and 128 or whatever um so you you know it was you had to yeah, it was it was that. So because I was always thrashing, I wanted to use every channel I could for music. I didn't want to like leave one channel open just for sound effects or two channels open for sound effects. I'd leave it open and then thrash the hell out of out of the uh the priority system. Yeah. That hmm that I mean that that sounds like it's the I mean, it was fun. As I got to be honest. It was. Oh, it yeah. wasn't like. It wasn't like I was sitting there crying in my soup or anything. You know, it was. It was exciting because no one had really like 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 no one had heard banjo music really in a video game before. So hey, how can I write a banjo thing and make it sound like a banjo and put it in Earthworm Jim, right? Um, and and you know, or you know, using live guitar on the Terminator for Sega CD. You know, like I was one of the first guys to record live instruments for for video games. So so doing that kind of uh, you know doing that kind of 
pioneering, if you will, back then. Yeah, was 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 fun. That was the exciting part because you'd 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 hand off a file or you'd you'd hand off the audio file to the programmer, and then we'd see it and we'd all gather around and listen to what it would sound. Because the artists loved it too. Because the artists would always tell you, like, yeah, you put the audio in, it makes the art look better. Um, and and so we would all gather around and and hear the the sound and if it, it would if you know because again if if there was too much going on on screen with the art and the gameplay and the graphics it would slow the music down like the music could bog down the frame rate of the game if i was if i was like pitch shifting too much it would literally oh. slow down the game so i'd have to go back and, 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 you know, I'd have a slide of a note, like a guitar solo in MIDI that went, Neow, right? And I would take that and I would see the slope and, and I would have to literally dither the, 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 uh, the uh, you know, the, um, uh, d dither the slide so that it didn't have like, if it was, Neow, that might be a hundred different gradients of meow, mm -hmm. right? So I would have to take one, you know, every fifth one. So it wouldn't be as smooth. It wouldn't be meow. It'd be like, you know, when I was done with it. Mm. But that would, that would, when I put it back in the game, oh, now the frame weight was fixed. Or sometimes I just had to take the slide out for that. Maybe it was a boss battle and they had a ton of sprites on screen that was like beating the hell out of out of the uh, you know out of the processor at that time. So a lot of boss battles and boss fights or bonus level tunes, I would try to keep. I would try to keep, um, you know, try, try to keep the pitch bending to a minimum. In, in fact, it's funny on Cool Spot. If you ever listen to the bonus tune for that, there is a big pitch bend in the beginning. I had like a big chord, and it went. I would, I couldn't put the pitch bend during the during the the bonus level but i could do it right at the beginning of the song because <laughs> because nothing was going on at that time because it was like you know cool spot get ready go or whatever it was you know uh you weren't you weren't or there maybe you were dropping them into the level or something but i could get away with it then but i couldn't do it because he would because you would bounce off these bubbles and collect all these things and and there were like all these sprites and effects that that would happen on the super nintendo or genesis at the time so yeah i i specifically remember that one i'm like okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna put it in the beginning of the song then that was my big my big pitch bend uh, extravaganza <laughs> <laughs> it's like that pitch bend's going in one way. It's going another. in, damn it. We'll, ch we'll change the design of the game if we have to. <laughs> oh, man. So as far as like the music goes then, I think it's about time we start talking about the Amico now. So our, as far as the Amico is, uh, it's com it comes installed with a few games. Are you... Do you have like a hand directly in those games as well? Yeah, for sure. So, so we're currently have about 50 games in development right now. Um, and, you know, 
uh, about 20 of the games are finished or in their very final kind of bug testing stages. And I'm the, uh, so out of the 50 games that we're working on, I'm the audio director of probably 90% of them. I'm the sound designer of about 60 to 70% of them. And I'm the composer or helping with the composition uh, for probably about 10% of them. Not, not as much music because music takes me a long time these days because it's so complex and complicated and stuff. Um, and you want it to sound good. Um, so, yeah, I spend more time, I think, on sound design. And that's kind of my weekend job. I always, I always say, like, from Monday to Friday, I'm the CEO of Intellivision. On Saturday and Sunday, I become, like, the audio director of Intellivision. Um, and, and because our games aren't as, you know, massively in-depth, like, like Call of Duty. So a game like Call of Duty will have, like, 25,000 lines of dialogue. It'll have seven yeah, hours and, of live-recorded symphony music. And, It'll have, you know... And take up 130 gigs on your hard drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 4,000 sound effects in 3D and, you know, all that stuff. And, and so our games, you know, I think the biggest game audio-wise is Finnegan Fox, which is a platformer game. I think I did about 300, maybe 300, around 300 or 350 sound effects for that. Um, the music, um, which I... I helped to produce, I didn't compose the music, but I worked with the composer to take his original MIDI files that he did, and we recorded some live guitar and live drums, and, and I brought in um, one of my arrangers and orchestrators, and, and so we you know, really kind of, uh, you know, I, I produced, produced the music uh, with the composer. Um, and so that one's probably the most music and sound design. Uh, that, it's probably the one I worked the most on. But but like Astro Smash, just sounds unbelievable. Like I'm really happy with that one, um, and uh, and the music. And and like w one of the sound designers uh, that work with me, we've been working together uh, for. Uh, 35 years because we met in an arcade when we were teenagers back in Massachusetts. We were, we were, we were handing out arcade tokens to people. That's when we met. Yeah, it's incredible. Incredible. And I also say this, like seven of the ten people on the original Earthworm Gym team work at Intellivision. So it's it, it's crazy. So like you know, if you like the Earthworm Jim games and like the humor and the story and the wackiness and the fun factor, you know these are the folks that you know we're working. We're designing the UI. We're designing the you know the, you know the, obviously we're working on Earthworm Jim as well. That's kind of like our weekend job too, um, as we're you know finalizing you know a lot of the design. Um, of the uh of the product you know even even in stuff like the the box art and things like that are all you know it's the same the same team of people so we're, we're excited about people seeing it that's that's definitely one thing that i've noticed about it is everything about the amico that i've seen just seems like a, there's a lot of heart and just like 
it seems like everybody's and it seems like people are enjoying the process of working on it and making those games they like the products that we see they they look like they're products of passion and that what people care about and not just like oh this is a job i gotta do this it, it, they seem very like full heart full hearted well it's it's interesting you say that because i've always i've always told people that you know like i said i've worked on over 350 games at this point and uh, which is a guinness world record by the way That's, <laughs> my mother's very proud uh yeah so, record. right um there is such a thing and the um and i've been on some of the greatest teams of all time. Again, a lot of the, you know, from the, you know, the Sonic team, the, you know, working with Shigeru Miyamoto on, on Metroid and the retro people and, and, you know, the Pac-Man franchise and the early Madden series and the Earthworm Jims and the Tony Hawks and the Guitar Hero and, you know, all these things. I, and, but I've also worked on some of the crappiest games of all time as well. So, <laughs> So, you know, um, and, and, and when you work on the best and the worst and everything in between, you really do see a difference. You, you, you instantly recognize what makes a great game and what doesn't. Now, you could say you could go into, you know, dissertations on design and, and fun factor and playability and replay value and all that stuff. Sure. But at the core of all of the greatest games I've worked on is a team of people who were passionate and absolutely loved what they were doing and what they were working on, which is in stark contrast to the crappy games where people just like, oh, they didn't like the property, they didn't like the license, they thought the game was stupid. Uh, you know, they're there from nine to five, they check out, they're done. You know, like when we were working on all those big games, we'd work every weekend mostly, and we were never asked to work. We wanted to. You couldn't keep us out of the office, right? You know, this was our passion. This is our life. This is how we had fun. And, and that's something that was really, really important, you know. And that's when I, you know, when we first started, you know, this new iteration of Intellivision, and we have about 60 employees now around the world, that's how we, when we're doing our, uh, you know, our, uh, you know, looking for new people and, and doing interviews, job interviews and stuff, you know, they, they go through all these different things. Then they get to me at the end. And all I do is I, I cause I don't care how technical they are. I like, like all of that. They've already passed all those gauntlets. They wouldn't be to me at that point if they hadn't already passed all those great things that our team has put them through to get them there. So clearly they're super talented people. So when I talk to them, I'm not asking them tech questions. I'm asking them passion questions. I, I want to read. I'd rather take somebody who's more passionate and less experienced than somebody who has more experience and less passion. You know, so so that's so you're, you're correct in saying that it, it seems like that because it is, you know, it's it's all about passion. Like like our team will we'll put something new in or see something new with the controller or whatever. And like we get tears in our eyes 
all of us like wow you know and and you know you know and I've been criticized in the past um, for you know sometimes clapping back at haters or or you know people who are hypercritical of of what we're doing and and uh, you know and and you know that I, that I uh, you know sometimes need to get thicker skin or whatever you know what fair comments okay you know when when people are crapping all over something that you're so passionate about and that the team you know people like see me and associate with me with amico but the reality is it's a whole team of people it's a whole team of amazingly talented hard-working passionate people who who i trust my life with you know like who who we've who've been in the trenches and in the foxholes with for sometimes 20, 30, 40 years in the industry, right? With different people at different times. And, and so, so yeah, you know, if, if you're going to try to, you know, crap on what we do, sometimes you take it personal. How can you not? Yeah. Yeah. Of, of How can course, you not? And, and you know what? You... If I didn't, then I'd be a CEO who didn't really care about the product and what they're doing. You know, you know, like, like, you know, you see, you see folks like, um, uh, you know, Elon Musk, you know, get in it sometimes with folks. And I can understand that. I can understand it because he's so passionate about what he's doing. So, you know, may, maybe it's a fault. OK, whatever. Um, but that's how I am. And that's how, you know, I care about what I'm doing and I care about the product. So, well, that's absolutely fantastic. Is there anything else that you want to to talk about or promote for the Amico? No, you know what? Just check it out. Today. Just give it a shot. Check check out our Intellivision uh, YouTube channel and go to Intellivision.com and sign up to our mailing list. And we're on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And, and you can follow me, Twitter, Facebook. My website is Tellerico.com. You can check that out. But yeah, hope, hope to see everyone online. And uh, if you send me some hate, I might clap back. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I don't do that anymore. I try to <laughs> I try to avoid all that. I try to avoid all that, but uh, I might send you a smiley face. Who knows? <laughs> well, Tommy, thank you very, very much for joining us on the podcast today. And we're just extremely ecstatic that you talked through your history and your passions. And we're excited to see what the Amico counts. I appreciate you guys so much for having me. Thank you so much. And we're back. Cool. And... Thank you. Thank you very much, Tommy, for that interview. That was uh, a sheer delight to talk with you. Um, the, and we're uh, everyone should go check out the Intellivision Amico as well. Uh, it's such a interesting and unique piece of work that's full of passion and love and seems utterly fun too. just bare bones, like not even bare bones. It just seems tough fun. Excuse the language. Uh, bleep that. Fun to, it's always fun to listen to how people work on the stuff when technology is not that good in the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, the, the original Intellivision was such a unique console in being able to see that, but now that they're kind of trying to bring back that initial... That initial wonder of, like, just exploring with a friend or just having it be 
with people by, side by side. And I think that'll be nice to have this again coming out on the console. Uh, but it's now time to touch up with everybody on what they've been playing. So what's new other than Metroid Dread coming out next week? Can't review a game that isn't out. However, you had something interesting that you were that you said you were playing. I did. I've been playing Tribes of Midgard with a few friends, and that's a really... I've been having a blast playing it. It's really immersive. There's It's a massive world that's like randomly generated, so no map is the same, but it has the same elements. They're just in different locations uh, every time you enter a world. Same basic principles. You walk around farming what you can from the environment, defeating enemies along the way. Different areas have larger... Uh, different areas have larger like uh, toughness or power that you need to be at or above in order to have a better chance. You can still enter them, but you go around fighting in this Norse myth- mythological area with your initial base that you have to defend every night from a demon horde. And throughout this whole world, these giant elemental giants are coming down and trying to slowly trudging their way towards your base all while you're trying to find the layer of like the world ender the Fenrir and accomplish all these other things it's a sheer blast to play highly recommend playing it with friends um i also recommend if we can all do it we should give it a shot that would be it's super fun (laughs) yeah that sounds great yeah Oh man, but other than that, like I can't really recommend anything else for it. I, I can go, I can talk a lot more about it, but that's the basis of what we can talk about. We've been playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, does anybody else have anything that they've been playing? Uh, I've been playing uh, Chrono Trigger this last couple days. Ooh, very. What do you funky. think so far? Um, I'm liking the whole plot um, involving time travel. I'm kind of expecting uh, the Terminator to pop out at one point. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. That was a bad joke. Um, <laughs> I think I think the battle system was pretty um, uh, cutting edge for for its time. Um, not really too many random encounters. Everything's sort of seamless, so you don't get that awkward transition when you encounter a battle. It just seamlessly goes into the battle while keeping the map intact. I thought that was mm-hmm. really cool. Um, the combat is just really simple and, and easy to pick up. I didn't really have to read the manual at all. And I think the whole nice. um, the whole tech system is pretty cool, too. So you can do sort of combo attacks with your teammates to unleash some pretty gnarly damage. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing... Uh, from I still have yet to play like a full run through. I've played like the first start of like the game, but it it, it the it looks amazing. It's like a it seems such it, even for how groundbreaking it was at the time, it still holds up. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think we are just about out of time this week, but. 
Uh, we want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, shoot us an email at info at We'd like to send a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the maid afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue with that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Anthony. I'm Chin. I'm Red. And I'm Miles. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Uh, later, gamers.